going on guys thank you so much for tuning into the dark sky podcast i am your host with the most you can call me the captain if you're one of the very few people here let me take you on a voyage into the void and if you're not here with me well i don't what are you doing what else is there that's more important than talking about ufos and shit okay get here if you're not here get here thanks for being here Let's get into it. First episode, the Benny and Barney Hill, sorry, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO incident of the 1960s, also better known as, it's not better known, it's kind of known as the Zeta Reticuli incident. The Zeta Reticuli incident is, or Zeta Reticuli, sorry, I was turning something down. The Zeta Reticuli is a star system about 12 parsecs away from Earth, apparently. That's what they say. But let's get right into it. It was a September night in 1961. They hadn't seen a car for miles, and a strange light in the sky seemed to follow them. When they finally got home to Portsmouth at dawn, they were far from relieved. They felt dirty. Their watches stopped working. Barney's shoes were strangely scuffed. Betty's dress was ripped. There were two hours of the drive that neither one of them could remember. What had happened? With the, help of this, with the help of a psychiatrist, the quiet couple eventually revealed a startling story. Gray beings with large eyes had walked them into a metallic disc as wide, Betty said, as her house was long. Once inside, the beings examined the couple and erased their memories. This is cool because this is one of the first times in modern history where this was recorded of gray beings, large eyes, metallic disc, your typical UFO story. UFO sighting that you hear throughout the ages and you say, oh, if you hear that, and you disregard it and you say, ah, it's nothing. But this is one of the first. This is where all those other stories kind of originated. This specific story. So, I mean, it's interesting. It, they had nothing to go by when they made this up. Not that they made it up. I think this is actually real. But they really had nothing to go by. Now everything goes by this standard of UFO, little gray, three-foot-tall alien. Their experience would kick off an Air Force inquiry, part of the secretive initiative, Project Blue Book, that investigated UFO sightings across the country. Project Blue Book is super famous. It's part of the Pentagon. Um, It's essentially a branch of the Pentagon that investigates UFO phenomena, extraterrestrial phenomena, love that word, where... All this weird shit that happens, it's not exclusively UFOs, it has to do with skin crawlers, ghosts, paranormal, any evidence that they find, Project Blue Book records, one of the things that they recorded was this, the three UFO videos that just got released by the Air Force, they were essentially the ones that released that, that information, and said, hey, yeah, this is kind of real, here you go. Do whatever you want with it. So Project Blue Book, pretty important thing. The incident would also become the first ever widely publicized alien abduction account and shape how stories like it were told and understood from then on. Debate continues as to whether the husband and wife were liars, fantasists, crackpots, or simply sleep-deprived people who later recovered seriously scrambled memories. Um, I, I believe them because, I mean, well, 
I don't know what I believe. It's good to believe they have high, they have a high, uh, Barney had a 140 IQ. Dude was smart. Even though he's a postman, which I guess at the time, post, you had to be pretty smart to be a postman. So the dude wasn't, he was also a skeptic beforehand. So the fact that this guy just came up with this story out of the blue, being a skeptic, 140 IQ. Yeah, he could have been crazy. That could have been the reason for the high IQ, but it's, it's not very likely in my opinion. Uh, the Hills road trip was spontaneous. A well-earned break. Barney decided the couple needed, as explained in a 1966 book, The Interrupted Journey. They collaborated on with author John G. Fuller. Barney worked a grueling night shift at the post office, driving 60 miles each way. Betty's job handling state child welfare cases was no, was, was no easier. The little free time this biracial couple had was devoted to their church and activities related to the civil rights movement. Now, these people were religious. They just talked about church. You know, Benny and Barty Hill went to church every Sunday, all that good stuff. Typically, when you're involved in the church, anything that's extraterrestrial, big air quotes, or just just strange, or doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. At the time, in 1960, they weren't super open-minded. So, as far as I've heard, I haven't been there. Would love to go there. 1960s seems like a decent place. Um, you were pretty frowned upon if you if you believed in any any weird stuff like UFOs or whatever it may be. But that also gives a little credibility to the story for me. Um, so after 16 months of marriage, Betty and Barney saw this trip as, through Montreal and Niagara Falls as their delayed honeymoon. They left so impulsively. They had no time to go to the bank before it closed for the weekend. They got in their car with less than $70 in their pockets, which is, I think, a lot of money at the time, right? Maybe. On the last night of their three-day trip, the tired couple sipped coffee in a Vermont diner to recharge before driving back. Barney figured if they pushed through, they could beat the wind and, and rains from an approaching hurricane. They left the diner around 10 p.m., estimating they could reach their red-framed house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. the latest. As they drove, the strange light in the sky gave another reason to hurry. At first, it looked like a falling star, but grew larger and brighter with each mile. Barney, an avid plane watcher and, and World War II vet, was sure that they just had nothing to worry about. It's just a satellite, he assured Betty. It probably went off course. So this guy, I mean, I don't know anybody who's an average plane watcher. That's pretty cool. Um, I guess planes were a lot different back then. So there's more reason to be a plane watcher. But if this guy was, you know, it's pretty dangerous to drive and plane watch at the same time. But fine, we'll give it to him. Maybe this guy was just great at multitasking. So he kind of knew his shit when it came to planes, knew what he was looking at. This, this, you know, it seemed different, but, you know, he disregarded it and said, oh, it's just a satellite. It's fine. Well, later he finds out the light seemed to move with the car as Barney steered down the curving mountain road. The light zigged and zagged, ducking past the moon and behind the trees and mountain ranges, only to reappear moments later. Sometimes it seemed to move toward uh, them in a game of cat and mouse. So he was chasing them. They were being chased by some weird satellite, air quote. 
It had to be an illusion, they thought. Maybe the car's movement made it seem like the light, too, was moving. Curiosity overcame them. The couple pulled over at road stops and picnic turnouts to get a closer look. Through binoculars, Betty saw that the white light was really an object spinning in the air. They had binoculars. I don't have binoculars in my car. That is the most 1960 thing I've ever heard of. Oh, honey, what is that? Get the binoculars. They're right there. Why do you what? Why do you have binoculars? Fine. Okay, we'll give it to him. You know what? He was a plane watcher. That's why he had them. Case closed. Dude was a binocular using plane watcher. Good for him. Barney, she told her husband, if you think that's a satellite or star, you're being completely ridiculous. This woman knew what she was looking at. He knew she was right. Barney had an IQ of 140, noted Fuller in his book. Barney was also a pragmatic man who wouldn't give flying saucers a second thought. Yeah, because he was super religious and super smart. The night was too quiet for a helicopter, a commercial plane, or even a military jet with a hot shot pilot. He didn't want to spook Betty, but he was becoming concerned. What was this light and why was it toying with them? About 70 miles past the diner, the object hovered just above the treetop. Approximately 100 feet above them, Barney abruptly stopped the car. Keeping in the engine running, he shoved a handgun he'd hidden beneath the seat in his pocket and rushed into a dark field. Why would you do that? That is the beginning of every horror movie that ends bad. Yep, that's, that's a weird sight. That's a strange sight. So let me just run directly into the unknown, dark field, alone, hoping for the best. Why, why would you do that? Okay, it was the 1960s. They were tough bastards back then. I'll give it to him. He was also a World War II vet, so good for him. Leaving Betty in the car. What he saw was as big, was as big as a jet, but as round and flat as a pancake. My God, what is this thing? He recalled thinking, this can't be real. Behind rows of windows, gray uniformed beings seemed to look right at him. Barney recalled. He tried to lift his hand to his pistol, but somehow couldn't. A voice told him not to put down the binoculars. He had a startling thought. We're about to be captured, yelling hysterically. He ran back to the car and barreled down the road as Betty tracked the craft, craning her head outside the car window without explanation. Loud, rhythmic beats sounded from the car's trunk. The couple felt instantly drowsy and lost consciousness. They came to around two hours later and 35 miles down the road. Back home in Portsmouth, they tried to make sense of the night. Barney felt compelled to examine his body's lower half. Why would you do that? That's, I guess he felt compelled. Felt something was down there. He wanted to check. Everything's all good down there. Both seemed aware of a puzzling presence. In the weeks and months after, Betty, an avid reader, checked out books from the library discovering the Civilian UFO Group National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena, or NECAP. That's a great name. She also reported the sighting to the Air Force, worried about radiation. Uh, you know, I guess World War II happened earlier. And everybody was worried about radiation back then. It's fine. We'll accept it. In coming years, with Betty suffering from disturbing dreams and Barney developing an ulcer and anxiety, maybe from the radiation, huh? Developing an ulcer anxiety, the couple sought mental help. The two met with Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist and neurologist who specialized in hypnosis, a mainstream technique at the time, which is... Still pretty avidly used. Uh, you know, I know a couple people who have done hypnosis and they 
Say it's legit, so fine, we'll give it credit. Credibility. Through months of weekly sessions, Simon helped the couple piece together what they think had happened. A vessel had landed on the hill's car, putting them to sleep. Afterward, gray beings walked them up a long ramp and into the spacecraft. Once inside, the hills were separated, taking turns in an examination room that they had cur- that had curved walls and large light and a large light hanging from the ceiling. Each was asked to climb up on a metal table. The, the table was so short, Barney's legs hung over the side because it was probably meant for three foot tall aliens. I guess we're just we're tall. We're tall in the galaxy. During the examinations, the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothes plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Each sample was placed on a clear material, not unlike a glass slide. Needles connected to long wires probed their heads, arms, legs, and spines. Now, this is a crazy story because you see all of these movies with aliens in them and UFOs, and they, they grab people, and they have these long tentacles and long probed tubes that they stick into arms like IVs but I mean these people when they thought of this story or recollected the story had nothing to go by nothing had or had happened like that I mean when was when was the war of the worlds that book came out in what 1930s sure it talked about tubes and stuff but I don't know I this seems this seems odd to me anyway one large needle around four to six inches long was inserted in the Betty's belly. Their pregnancy test left her twisting in pain. Throughout a, throughout a being Barney and Betty called the leader, watched from the side. They drew the leader, uh, Barney did, and he was a postman. He wasn't, a, he wasn't the greatest uh, illustrator that existed back in the day. But he drew a picture of the leader, and it was just your most typical gray alien, big-headed, short, big-eyed thing ever. Which, I mean, I mean, they didn't have much to go by again back then. So, I mean, I believe, I mean, when Lord, Lord of the Rings, not Lord of the Rings, when War of the Worlds came out, the creatures were tall, tentacled things, not little green monsters. So, I mean, they had very little to go by if they were just making this up. And now people, this is what people see. I mean, this story has so much hidden credibility to it that it's insane. Um but they called it the leader. After Betty's examination ended, the being, beings rushed back into her room, excited. They discovered that Barney's teeth could be removed. Betty laughed, explaining that Barney's, Barney had dentures, a fact of human aging the being, beings struggled to understand. They didn't understand aging. I guess they don't age. Probably why they're like three feet tall. But are they born three feet tall? That's a painful birth. Later, alone with the leader, Betty asked where the craft had flown, admitting she knew little of the universe. The being joked with her, saying, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Later, under hypnosis, she drew a star map shown to her on the ship. That is the greatest sentence in history, if an alien just said that. Like, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. That's... is. Are all of these aliens just Socrates in little gray man formed? I mean, that what is that? If you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. I know what you mean. I, you know what I mean when I say that is some heavy shit right there. Pretty cool. 
If that's true, nice. Doesn't seem like they're they're here to hurt us at all either, by the way. They're just studying. Like I mean, we we have anthropologists that kill animals. I hope it's anthropologists that I'm thinking of and not something else. But that kill animals and study their insides, learning that's what these things are doing. We don't do it to harm them because we want to harm them, but because we want to study them. Same thing. In 1965, the Hill story was picked up by a Boston newspaper. After that, everything changed. The Quiet Couple story became the subject of a best-selling book and movie starring James Earl Jones. I think, I think that movie was Close Encounters. Um, the Hills weren't the first to spot a UFO or even to report an abduction, but their story did capture the nation's imagination. It was so widely publicized, it had helped shape how we talk about alien encounters and abductions to this day. Before the Hale story, alien encounters were friendly, according to Christopher Bader, a professor of sociology at California Chapman's University. Some aliens even lived on Earth and commuted back on weekends. But once the Hale story became better known, abduction accounts shared certain characteristics, characteristics such as medical examinations and missing time. Aliens with large heads and big eyes dubbed greys in UFO circles became classic sci-fi staples in the personal accounts in pop culture. So, I mean, this story is crazy to me. This is one of my favorite. This is where I learned to kind of fall in love with the paranormal and extraterrestrial stuff was this, this story. And it happened so close to home. I mean, the White Mountains, I went to school up there for a short bit. Um, it's such a wide area and nothing goes on up there. If you saw something that's pretty significant because like there's, why are there planes? Why are there satellites up there? I mean, sure. Yeah. They're going over, but it's not going to be a hot spot for that stuff. It's, it's a crazy story. Um, and it also kind of ties together present day. So and a present day you have pro- the Pentagon releasing three UFO uh, videos. They weren't releasing them. They were more just confirming them because those, those videos had been out since like 2004, 2006 and 2012, I believe. One of them is the go fast video, which is very famous. You can YouTube that and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's the first thing that pops up, but they were all taken by you air force pilots. And early on, a lot of those were tracked by uh, the Navy and they sent the pilots out. Hey, go find this thing. We don't know what it is. We got to find out. You need to. And they had trouble catching up to it. These F-22 Raptors. I mean, we're talking about the fastest jet that exists. Couldn't catch up to this Tic Tac thing. So, you know, the you, the the Project Blue Book is behind all that stuff. They're connected with the Pentagon. They released all of that stuff to the public. And it's cool. But what's weird is they released it in the midst of coronavirus. And now nobody's paying attention to the UFO stuff. This was the perfect, if they didn't want to cause mass disruption, this is the perfect time to release it, right? I mean, when we're all worrying about the coronavirus, who do you know that talks about this UFO stuff? Had this been five months ago when the corona wasn't happening, this would be everywhere. But for some reason, it's now. I mean, we are literally entering level five of Jumanji. What is going to happen in May? What is going to happen in June, July, August? I mean, the 2020 is what 2012 was trying to be. It's insane. Uh, what's going on with Kim Jong? I'm not going to get into all that crazy stuff. 
I'll I'll get there at some point. Different episodes, um, whenever on those topics. But I mean, you know, the Benny and Barney Hill story. You know, like I said, got a lot of people into sci-fi. Made a lot of movies from it, based off it, and has a lot of credibility to it. So, you know, I hope you take the time to kind of learn about it yourself. Uh, I think it's worth it. Um, but again. Thank you for joining me on this first episode of the Dark Sky Podcast. Uh, again, I am your host of The Captain, and you are now allowed to leave the realm of imagination. Not imagination, the paranormal, supernatural. I'm working on this stuff, so it's okay. But thank you again, and I will see you soon. Goodbye.